0: Well, good morning to you. Can you all hear me okay, first off? Okay, good. Well, I've talked to your pastor, John Rollins, and uh, he speaks so highly of you all, and he just really has enjoyed uh, preaching the Word of God to you, and he's told me about you, and he really enjoys you all very much. And uh, so I just want to pass that on to you, that you have a good reputation. Um, So that's always encouraging, isn't it? Well, my name is Chuck Fry and um, I grew up in St. Albans, West Virginia. And uh, how many have ever been to St. Albans? Jim, you've been there. Okay. Uh, But more importantly, uh, my wife grew up in Gauley Bridge. And we feel like real West Virginia is like from this point on over east into Gauley Bridge and up into the mountains. So, we, we really love West Virginia and we love this area in particular. So we're thankful um, for the state that God has given us, the wonderful state. Currently, we live in Ona, West Virginia, and um, Ona is near Huntington. And so that's where we live now. We live in a small community, uh, we, we love it a lot. It's very peaceful there and very nice. But anyway, the other day, I was listening to the radio in Huntington, and there's a local talk show guy there, and he said this, and I wonder if you agree with it. He said this, the truth is still the truth, even if nobody believes it. And a lie is still a lie, even if everybody believes it. Do you agree with that? Yeah. 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 Well, um, the book of Romans goes along with that, of course. And in the book of Romans, which is where we'll be today, in Romans chapter 3, Romans 3, we learn of what the truth of God is, the truth about who God is, the truth of His unchanging law and we find about the truth of ourselves, the truth of ourselves, and the truth of God's assessment of everybody on earth, whether it's us in this room this morning, um, people in Golly Bridge, people in Ona, people high on a mountain in Tibet, <laughs> it doesn't matter. This, what we're gonna be looking at is the truth about each and every person on the world, in the world today, not just in the world, but also. Um, in history, everybody who's ever lived. And it's important for us because the world lies to us all the time about the nature of man and telling us that we are somebody that we're not, telling us that we don't really have a great need when the Bible clearly says we do have a great need. And so this morning I want to preach to you, proclaim to you, The truth about the law of God. And God willing, next week, we will talk about the glorious truth of the gospel of grace. We'll touch on that today, of course. Uh, That's very important that we leave here knowing the good news of the grace of God. But before we get to the good news, before God gets to the good news, God must tell us some serious news about each and every one of us. Paul, in the book of Romans, is laying out an argument. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about each and every person on earth and how Jew and Gentile alike, that is religious and non-religious, everybody, all of us are under sin, and all of us are accountable to the law of God. Several years ago, I was teaching to students from mainland China. I'm a missionary, and I work with the Navigators, and I was working with students from China, most of whom were not Christians when I was sharing this. And while I was teaching to them, I was trying to explain to them our great need and the fact of the sinfulness of man. And here's what I did, and I want you to join in on this, okay? I had a dry erase board or a blackboard behind me, and I said, I want, I'm going to write down four names, and I want you to categorize these four names. Number one, this is the best name. This is the best person. This is the next best person. This is the next best person. And then this is the worst person out of these four. Okay? And so the first person I named was Billy Graham. The next person I named was Mother Teresa who had spent her whole life in India sacrificing herself to reach out to people. The next person I named was Adolf Hitler. And then the final person I named, wrote writing on the board, was Chuck Fry. And I said, I want you to rate these from best to worst. Well, you'll be happy to know that I was not last, but the sad fact is, I was next to last. <laughs> I think Billy Graham finished number one. Mother Teresa, in their eyes, finished number two. I was number three. And Hitler uh, was number four. Well, I can understand why they did that. And I was trying to drive home a point. The point is... None of us are better. And Paul actually says that in this passage we are going to look at today. Billy Graham and Adolf Hitler have the exact same need. Exact same need. Now that goes counterintuitive to us. But that's the fact. Let me read to you the law of God that is the standard for us all and for everyone on earth. Let me read it to you. These are the Ten Commandments. And I'm just going to paraphrase or read over briefly. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Now bear in mind, these commandments need to be kept perfectly in our outward performance, but also in our heart, and our devotion. This is the standard. It's perfection. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image that is an idol and you shall not bow down to this idol or to anything or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. <clears throat> Commandment number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not misuse God's name. You shall treat it trivially, and make jokes about God. I should preach with great reverence when I use the name of Almighty God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Number six, you shall not murder. And Christ in the Sermon on the Mount said that even when you say to somebody, you fool, you're guilty of the same judgment as murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Again, our Lord Jesus said this is not just the outward act of adultery, but our hearts need to be faithful, perfectly faithful to only one, and that is our spouse. Number eight, you shall not steal. We steal, for example... When we um, don't work as we should, this is a small example. But when we rob our employer of time, and so that's just one small example. And then there's obvious acts of stealing. And then number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie, another way to put it. And you shall not slander another. You shall not malign anybody or falsely represent them or give false testimony. And then finally, number 10, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. Desiring something that someone else has is to covet. God clearly says about this, Cursed, this is, I'm quoting now from Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul quotes Deuteronomy. So this is God's assessment, God's standard, and he says, Cursed be everyone who does not do everything written in the law. So if you find yourself, as I read those to you, realizing that we have broken those commandments, God says there's a curse, that is to come from us breaking the command. So if you've kept those perfectly, then there's no curse. There's no need for you to worry. Let me just say real quick, I know that you've not kept those. <laughs> and let me say just as quickly, I know that you know that I've not kept those. So what are we going to do? With those things in mind, we've just looked at God's standard. Let's look at God's assessment about all of us. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 3, and this is where we're going to focus. Verse 9, Paul is drawing his argument to a conclusion. And he's, he's been working to say, the religious person, you Jewish person, you Pharisee, You non-Christian, you atheist, all of us are alike under sin. What then? Verse 9. Are we Jews any better off than the Gentile? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned away, or aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Does that hit you hard? Or how do you respond to that? I just wonder. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And Paul means nobody, as in, no, not one, (laughs) nobody. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. This is God's assessment of each and every one of us. No one does good, not even one. Now, I know you all, you've done many nice things for people, I'm sure, you've been nice to us as we've been here and yet in light of the perfection of the holiness of god's law paul's right in quoting the old testament when it says no one does good not even one in light of, only jesus has done this only jesus has done truly good good throughout his life with per- perfection with pure motives Only Jesus. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, the venom of vipers, poisonous snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So here, Paul is addressing our speech. And um, the Bible clearly says that whatever comes out of our mouth is simply an overflow of our hearts. That's convicting, because if you stop and think, think of the things that you wish nobody would ever want you to hear you say. And think of how you said those things. That just simply reveals the truth about our hearts. Now, again, I know that uh, our tendency is to think, well, I'm really not that bad. You know, I can't say my throat is an open grave. You know, just think about that. One of the, the great Presbyterians of the past was a man named Charles Hodge. How many have heard that name, Charles Hodge? Has anybody? Do you all know? He was a great uh, seminary professor at Princeton Seminary, a great Presbyterian. He lived in the 1800s. And Charles Hodge wrote a fantastic commentary on the book of Romans. In, In fact, if you want to read a commentary on Romans, I would suggest Hodge's commentary. It's great. Hodge, who lived well beyond his 80s, he says of himself, said of himself, in all of his life, he had only cussed one time. Think about that. Can you say that? I can't. But Hodge says, I've only, I can only recall cussing one time in my whole life. And yet Charles Hodge, as godly as he was, as wonderful as he was, quickly agrees that the verses I just read to you their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asp is under their lips all of these things Hodge would say was true of him you see none of us have a righteousness that we can give to god verse 15 their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the state of natural man. This is the state of all of us apart from Jesus Christ. And even with Jesus Christ, even with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, even though we're being sanctified by God, praise God, Even though we are growing, thanks be to God, we still have nothing to boast about. Because on our best day, our best performance is shot through with sin. And so again, we have no righteousness to give to Almighty God. And yet God expects perfect righteousness that we would avoid the wrath of the law and the curse of the law of God. So that is God's assessment. God's assessment of each and every one of us. What about God's verdict? We've looked at God's standard. We've looked at God's assessment. His opinion of all of us. His, not his opinion, but his decree. His absolute judgment that's right. Now let's look at God's verdict. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says... Remember, the Ten Commandments is another way of saying the law. It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. That is why preaching the law of God is so important. You see? Because otherwise, we'll we will think we're not that bad. We will think, I'm not perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than my neighbor. You know? But here, the law of God strips us all of our own righteousness and tells the truth about our life. The truth is still the truth, even if no one believes it. A lie is still a lie, even though everyone believes Believes it. In Psalm one sixteen, verse eleven says, "All men are liars. All men are liars. All of us have nothing to boast about. Even on our best spirit filled day, we all fall short. Still of this assessment or the standard. So God's verdict is that we are all guilty." Verse 20, for by, for by works of the law, that is, by obeying and loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, no human being will be justified in God's sight. That is, no one on earth, by doing obedience and by doing the works of the law, by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, by loving your neighbor as yourself, That No one will be justified, that is, declared righteous, and can stand before a holy God on that day by those works of the law. Rather, through the law comes a knowledge of sin. Through the law comes a knowledge of sin. Now I realize I'm a guest preacher here. And this is not a very popular thing to preach about, is it? I appreciate the fact that you're not throwing rocks at me. Thank you. But friend, this is God's way. This is God's way. And I can't, I can't shake that. And look around us today in the United States. The law has been crumpled up and thrown out. On a national level, it's been thrown out. You would agree with that, right? Now think about this. In 1607, these three boats sailed up the, what's now called the James River in Virginia and there was the founding of Jamestown in 1607. Robert Hunt was a godly minister. He, he came off his boat, he landed on shore, and he fell on his knees, and he claimed this land for the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jamestown, with all their problems, and you know, John Smith, you've heard about that. You've heard about things. But at least they had the law of God on their heart and mind. And the laws they made in Jamestown, it was still a colony from England, right? But the laws they made were this. Listen to this. If you blaspheme God, if you speak against the Trinity which is who God is, you are to be put to death. And that was one of their civil laws. If you commit adultery, you're to be put to death. One of their civil laws. Imagine if, if, if uh, the state of West Virginia had these laws. That's what it was like in Jamestown. And we go on and on and on. They're graphic. They're serious. And this will, this will blow your mind, but in the state of Connecticut, think about this. The state of Connecticut, if a child spoke against the parents and was rebellious against his or her parents, that child was to be put to death. Connecticut. Connecticut. The law, of, and that came from the Old Testament, by the way. They didn't just make that up, they got it from the Bible. My point is this nationally speaking, we have crumpled up the Ten Commandments and thrown them out the window. Why? Because we want a new righteousness, we want a new standard, one that we can meet. And that is what is happening in America. You look at the great unhinging. Look at what's going on in today. Look at the confusion. Think about it. It wasn't always that way in America. But we have thrown it away because we want to justify ourselves. Well, we think, well, that's the world. I can understand that. But what about the church? When I say the church, I don't mean Winifred Community Church. I mean, in general, the church in America, the statistics say that we're really no different than the world. Our, our marriages, for example, are just like the world's. And in some cases, they say that the, the statistics say that our marriages are worse than the world's. Why? Because we have disregarded the law of God. And so that's why we must... Proclaim it and be humbled by it and be driven out of ourselves and driven out of our self-righteousness and see the truth of a holy God. The truth is still the truth, even though no one believes it. God's main point here in verse 20, verses 19 and 20, and actually in the whole passage is that we have no righteousness to give to Almighty God? We, being you and I, we have no righteousness to give, Almighty God. <clears throat> now, there's a, a response. There, are, there are different ways that we can respond to this, to everything we've heard this morning. And I want to start by telling you another story. This, hopefully, this will make you laugh, especially if you do any construction work or home repair, please feel free to laugh at myself. Several years ago, I was in charge of leading college students in remodeling a home. This is funny because I know nothing about how to do this, and it was a clear case of the blind leading the blind. Well, during the course of all this, some of the college students came to me and they said, Chuck, there's a terrible water stain on the wall. And we, we don't know what to do to get rid of it. Well, me, in my great arrogance, I said, let me see it. And I walked over there. I said, it just needs some paint. Paint over that water stain. Just paint. Watch. I'll show you. And so I painted over it. And guess what? The water stain disappeared for a moment. A few minutes later, they came back to me, and they said, Chuck, that water stain's back. I said, huh. I said, well, let's just paint over it again. You know, the paint's dry now. Let's just paint over it again. So we paint over it again. And guess what? It disappeared again. It was so nice. And guess what? I walked out with great arrogance once again. Boy, I sure set those guys straight. A few minutes later, they came back. and They said, Chuck, it's back. It's back. Well, I finally realized painting over a water stain ain't going to work. Now, I know there's kills, right? You can use kills, and that solves a problem. But I didn't know that at the time. Why do I tell that story? Just as the water stain revealed a real problem, so the law of God Reveals a real problem with you and me that we have a guilty conscience before Almighty God. And there are different ways that we can try to cover up the water stain of our guilt. And I want to talk about those. And this is what we as Christians do, but also what the world does in trying to cover up our guilt. And it doesn't work. Number one, how do we cover up the guilt of our conscience? Number one is to deny that the standard and the problem even exist. It's just to say, well, the law of God doesn't exist. I'm really not, I'm really not in trouble at all. There is no water stain. My conscience isn't guilty. This is what creates soci- sociopaths people that go out and kill other people because their conscience is seared, it's gone. And that's going on in a huge way in the United States today. Just to deny that the law even exists and that guilt even exists. Number two, we can deceive ourselves. That's another way we try to paint up or cover over the water stain of our guilt We say, well, I'm really not that bad. I know I'm not perfect. But like I said earlier, I look at my neighbor and the habits that they have. I'm not doing those things. And so really, I'm not that bad. But again, we try to do that and the guilt returns. Just as the water stain returned, the guilt returns. It gnaws at us. It tells us that we're in trouble. Number three, let's just change the laws of society. Let's get all of society to go along with what I want. Now, that not that happening today? That's happening. Changing laws to justify our sin. No wonder the book of Isaiah in chapter 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good, evil. Whereas in the early 1600s, America had the law that if you committed adultery, you would be put to death according to the law of God. Now, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. You are punished if you go against what what the new righteousness says against how they think uh, marriage should be, or lack of marriage, and on and on and on. Changing the laws, that's another way. But we can change the laws, and guess what? The guilt returns. You paint over it, it returns. Paint over it, it turns. Supreme Court passes something, it returns. It will not take it away. Number four, and this is a a way that we as Christians can tend to deal with our guilt, to cover over the the stain. It's to try harder. To say, well, I, I did mess up. I did this and that. But I just need to try harder now. And so we... We may get cracking. We may say, well, I'm going to start doing Bible reading every day of my life. (laughs) You know, and I'm going to, we set up our standards and I'm going to uh, go serve. I'm going to go do this and that. That's all good stuff. But that will not cover up the guilt. No matter how hard we try, it will not cover it up. Well, what will cover it up? What will solve the problem? Jesus. Let's get to him. Enough, enough of us. Verse 20, the best thing we can do, verse 20 and 21, verse 20 kind of tells us if you want to say step A, that's a bad way to put it, but is that we would finally have our mouth silent. We would not try to justify ourselves. There's no way out, but we realize, I have no righteousness to give God. I have no way of dealing with my guilt, my real guilt. And then we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. And by the way, next week, we're going to really, really camp in and focus on the glorious gospel of grace. And so, but I want to talk about it today because... If I were just to send this all out today without telling you what I'm about to tell you, how depressing. I mean, you all would cry in your chicken noodle soup or whatever food you eat. Okay? It'd be depressing. And you'd say, Chuck, don't come back next week. But look, God doesn't want you. And I say this amazingly. God doesn't want you to stay in your guilt He wants you to be forgiven. And here he's giving us the answer. And he's proclaiming to us through the preacher right now the answer. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God. We had no righteousness. Now there's this righteousness that's coming from somewhere else. The righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made known. It's been declared. Apart from the law, that is, apart from your record of law-keeping, has nothing to do with your performance. Your performance, we've already made the argument, is, is, is rotten garbanzo. It's terrible. So is mine. No offense against you. I'm in the same boat. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, what is this righteousness? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Beloved, Christ is your righteousness. When you turn to him in simple trust by faith alone, you say, Lord Jesus, I trust what you did on the cross for me. His perfect record of law-keeping that we could never do is fully credited to your account. And there is no longer any condemnation for you or for me. We are safe in the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ. Safe forever and ever. Our conscience is washed whiter than snow through Jesus Christ and that is the point of romans and that is the point of verses 21 and 22. god willing i'm going to unpack that or explain it further next week starting at verse 21 and going down to the end of chapter 3. you will be so encouraged but for now realize beloved believer in christ you're clean you're forgiven you think about the things you've done in your life in the past. They're washed whiter than snow. You are fully loved. You are God's child. Christ is your righteousness. And he is the righteousness of God that's been credited to your account. I'll tell one final story and then, um, and then we'll be finished. Isn't that good, finished? Oh, we should be finished. It's 12 o'clock. What time do you all finish here? What's that? We don't have to stop. You don't? Oh, why? Good. That's great. Well, I'll be finished in a moment anyway. Um, Over my life, I work with the Navigators, which is a Christian ministry, and um, I have worked with students and and people like you, who have come to me in private, and they they've shared terrible things about their life. And these are Christians. These are believers. One such case was a man who, um, a few years ago, he came to me and he said, I wish I had a reset button. And I thought, what? That was a, I hardly knew this guy. I knew he was a Christian, but that was all. And I said, I said, what? He said, I wish I had a reset button. I said, well, what do you mean? And he started telling me about his life. He started looking at his past and recounting this event, this event, this action, that action, this terrible consequence. And he he was judging himself saying, look at this. Look at me. I'm hopeless. Look at my past. And he said, my church even kind of ignores me because of my past. And so... He said to me, I wish I had a reset button. Now, what would you say to someone like that? Would you say, well, you just need to hitch up your britches. Try a little harder. Here, let me give you the commands of God. Now, if you do one, two, and three and read this verse, read that verse, memorize it. We navigators love to memorize, okay? Do all this and just try harder, then you'll be okay, okay? No, I can't say that. And by the way, I'm no better than my friend with a reset button need. I, I look back on my life, and it's the same story. I can point to things. Can you? Can you point to things that you regret? Well, I just, he waited for me to say something, and I didn't know what to say. I'm not a I'm not very fast thinker. But I just looked at him, and the only thing I could give him was this, and I just said, Jesus Christ died once for all sin. The just for the unjust, this is 1 Peter three eighteen. Christ has died for it all. You are forgiven. You are washed whiter than snow. You are God's child forever and ever. And He has not kicked you out. He has forgiven you. You are loved. And I said to my friend, that is your reset button. Christ is your Savior, and that hasn't changed. His death, once for all sin, covers you, cleanses your conscience. After I finished that, He looked down like this and bowed. For a long time, I thought, what's going on? And then he looked up like this, and tears were coming down his face. And he just looked to heaven, and he held his hands up as though he was holding a great treasure. And he just said, thank you. Thank you. Friend, that's the good news for you today. May you and I forever and ever Boast only in Jesus Christ alone. May we rest in the righteousness of God that has been credited to us. Christ took the curse of the law. Remember that curse I told you about? Christ took it. That's why he had to die. So you are fully loved and forgiven. Let that be the good news that you go out with today. Let's pray. Lord, It's so easy to say these things.